0: So we're in our second week of this series, If Money Could Talk, and we said that, that um, if money could talk, it would actually say some things that didn't really surprise us. So I'm going to pull out a Benjamin here. How many of y'all have Benjamins? How many of you know what a Benjamin is? Okay. I don't have many, but I do have one Benjamin. In fact, I think somebody paid me this Benjamin, and I've just been holding on to it because I wasn't sure what it looked like. But if this, if this money could talk, it's not surprising what it would tell you to do with it. What's shocking to most people is they don't realize that if money could talk today, it would say exactly what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. And so we started this last week and and we said that Jesus talked more about, about money than he did heaven, hell, prayer, or faith, because he knew this was true. He knew this statement, go ahead and put that up there, Bobby, there is no money, would actually be more troubling to you and to me than this statement. There is no heaven. Jesus knew that money was the number one competition for our hearts. And so he spent more time talking about it than any of those other things I mentioned because he doesn't want money to have you. See, Jesus knew this lie. I'll be happy when I get a little bit more. How much more? Well, well how, how much he has or they have. It's this comparison trap we get into. Jesus knew that money couldn't deliver happiness. And, and what it would actually say is something we mentioned last week. Money can add meaning to your life, but it's going to be a very sad meaning if money is the actual meaning of your life. And so we challenge you at the end of the service to, to ask this question. How do I get maximum use out of my little bitty time on this planet, my little bit of money in light of eternity? How do I make the most of what God has given me? Today, if your Benjamins could talk, your Benjamins would say this. Your self-control determines which of us has control of these Money would say, you silly little boy, you silly little girl. Now, I have to, this is the way my mind thinks. A, a lot of my theology was cemented. I already had it before I watched VeggieTales, but, but a lot, I speak in VeggieTales. So go ahead and put that picture up there if you would. This is Josh and the Big Wall, one of my all-time favorites of VeggieTales, and so you see the, the French peas that are up there on the, on the wall. They're actually the people in Jericho. So this is the wall of Jericho. And down here, Larry, that's his name. He's a cucumber, but people mistake him for a pickle all the time. And so this is Larry. He's, per, he's portraying Joshua. And then you see down here, there's paw grape, and then, then there's, there's also little peas that are going around, because it's Veggie Tales, right? It's, it's, the, the theme was Saturday, Sunday morning values, Saturday morning fun. And so they would tell these Bible stories this way. Well, my, one of my all-time favorites is when uh, Josh walks up, he's, he's Larry, he's the cucumber, he walks up, he bumps into the wall, and the guys, the guards up on top of the wall, they go like, who are you? And he said, I am Joshua, and God has given us this land. And they're like, nice to meet you, and now, away, right? It's it's this awesome thing. So he said, what are you doing? And they're walking around in circles around the wall. And so the French peas go... Well, you just keep on walking. And the song is great. It says, keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking. It isn't going to fall. It's plain to see. Your brains are very small to think walking will be knocking down our wall. And then they pause. And here's my favorite part. It says, you silly little pickle. Because in the thing, he's always like, um, I'm a cucumber. But you silly little pickle. You silly little peas. You think walking around this city will bring it to its knees? The awesome power of this wall. We've clearly demonstrated But out here in this hot, hot sun, perhaps you're dehydrated. (laughs) Love this, love this. So if money could talk and say, you silly little pickle. You silly little peas. You think this is going to bring happiness to your life? You're some kind of stupid. Okay, that's. (laughs) Maybe it wouldn't say that, but. But here's what we do. We, We say, if only I had a little more money. And money says, if only you had more self control, you would have more money. You can click on the, the no backgrounds and it'll take the background off there. You may have to go show them, Caleb. Um, <clears throat> if I had more money, money says, no, if you had more self control, you'd have more of me. Ask anyone in Haiti, we've been to Haiti many times, ask them if they would have financial problems on your salary. I don't even care what your salary is, they think you're nuts. Go to Belize. Would they think, would they want your salary? They would love to have your salary. They would think that if I had your salary, I'd never have any financial problems, ever. So we need to listen to our money when it says, I'm a much better servant than I am a master, because the money would say, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I will obey you if you'll just tell me where to go. Now, when we get to the New Testament, there's, there's all this teaching of Jesus. We're going to look at the apostle Paul today. And when the apostle Paul comes on the scene, he's not known as Paul. He's known as Saul and Saul actually, um, uh, Saul hated Christians. He went around trying to stamp out Christianity. He put Christians in jail. He held the coats of people who were stoning Stephen, one of the very first deacons. And he approved of the killing of Stephen because he was, he was pointing people to Jesus. And so all of a sudden, Paul becomes a Christian, and then he runs all around the Mediterranean Sea, the northern part and, and the eastern part, and he starts churches, and then he writes letters to the churches. And he writes a letter to the church in Galatia in a, around 53 AD, so about 20 years after Jesus has died and resurrected, much too soon for any legend or myth to come into the story, people are still alive, 20 years after he writes this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He's telling the church he started, so I say walk by the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's not saying that our bodies are bad. He's saying the desires that we have can be bad if we use them outside of the ways that God intended. So we're going to say if you walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh or the unholy Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit. There's an unholy Spirit. For the flesh, the unholy spirit desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are are not to do whatever you want. So here's, I, I wanted you to see the new living translation of verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These two forces are doing what? They're constantly what? Fighting. So that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. See, if the Holy Spirit controls my body, then I walk by the Spirit. But if the unholy Spirit, the flesh, controls my body, then I walk after the lusts of the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh have different appetites. That's an easy way to remember this. The flesh wants to please the unholy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, wants to please God himself, and this is what creates this internal conflict that you wrestle with, the Holy Spirit versus the unholy spirit. If you're not a Christ follower, you don't, follow, you don't ever have this conflict. You just do whatever you want to do to please the flesh. See, the fin- sinful nature is kind of like a pig always looking for some, something unclean on which to feed or in which to lie. Did he just call us a pig? No, no my commentator did. Um, but it's going to get worse. So, so if you're offended at pig, just, just quit listening. Because the scriptures in the scriptures, a pig is an unclean animal, but a sheep is always a clean animal. And the sheep represents our new nature, which is yearning for the things that please the shepherd. If you bring a pig into your house, and you clean it up, and you put perfume on it, and you put a little bow on its head, and maybe curl its tail a little bit more, I don't know, put ribbons on it, and you let that pig outside, what is that pig going to do? It's immediately going to run and get back in a slop, because that's its nature, if a sheep however falls into some mud if it can't get out of itself, you know what a sheep does It cries for the shepherd to come and take it out to rescue it and to save it And as long as the sheep follows that shepherd, it doesn't fall into mud when the sheep gets into trouble it's when it takes its eyes off of the shepherd, it falls back into mud and it acts like a pig temporarily But then when it cries out to the shepherd, the shepherd comes and rescues and saves them Now look what paul says about the flesh the unholy spirit the pig nature When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. By the way, let's just define that. Adultery is sex outside of marriage, outside the the person you're married to. Fornication is sex by any two people who are unmarried. That's what he's talking about. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Did you know that anything that causes the division in the church is sin. We have a ministry of reconciliation. Anything that causes division, that promotes your way over someone else's way, it's sin envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I tell you again, as I have before, that no one living that sort of life will inherit the kingdom of God. We're not, we're talking about pig nature, not flesh nature. We're not, not talking about a sheep that occasionally falls into sin and says, Oh God, please forgive me. We're talking about a habit of sin, a nature that says, I only want to please myself. I don't care what happens to anyone else. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you become a follower of Christ, your nature will change because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And things that never bothered you before will start to bother you, and maybe that bothers you, but the bothering will not stop because the Holy Spirit will carry on until completion the work that Jesus Christ has started in you until the day that Jesus returns. The Holy Spirit will nudge you and nudge you, and when you choose enough to follow the Holy Spirit, the outcome of that that internal nudge will be a sheep that wants to please the shepherd. And here's, look what happens. The Holy Spirit, the sheep who wants to please and follow the Holy Spirit of God, produces this kind of fruit. There's a difference. The things that the flesh produce, dead. This is fruit which is alive. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And, and the one we really want to look at today is self-control, not others' control. I'm so glad you're not the Holy Spirit of God. And you should be so glad I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. Self-control, not others' control. Behavior modification is not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. See, that job's already taken. Many people in my life have tried to play the part of the Holy Spirit. And and when I'm a little sassy, I'm like, dude, Holy Spirit's got a job. You're not him, so I don't have to listen to you. Self-control, not others' control. See, your flesh always going to produce dead works. That means on your best day, in your best power, you can't produce anything that's going to outlive your life. It'll die with you. But with the Spirit's power, you'll produce fruit. And here's the cool thing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit has seed in it, which produces more seed, more fruit. So love produces more love. Joy produces more joy. Peace, patience. By the way, if you ever learn our song, if you want to be a fruit of the Spirit, you can't be a coconut. If you want to be a fruit of the Spirit, you can't be a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. You'll never forget the fruit of the Spirit. But that last one, what was the last one? Self control. The Holy Spirit always nudges you to self control. The unholy Spirit always nudges you to be selfish and to try to control others. You see, God wants you to have self-control because he doesn't want you to be controlled by an appetite. I I just looked this up because I've got some really good friends. I mean, I've been through Celebrate Recovery and many of you have and uh, I've got some friends that have done AA and here's the number one step in AA. I just wanted to look it up and I I wanted to type it up and put it up here. See, when they thought they could control by willpower their alcohol, they were powerless. So step one says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. When you think you're in control and you think, oh, I can stop anytime, you probably can't. It's when you humble yourself before a a heavenly father, a creator, a higher power, the higher power that God begins to change you from the inside out. See, if you're a Christian, you already have a master, capital M. And Jesus said, we looked at this verse last week, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, you'll love the other, you'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, would anybody here, go ahead and put that next slide up if you would, Bobby. Say, I can serve God and blank. You better not say that here. Because the only person that thinks they can serve God and something else Is either incredibly immature Or they're just flat out ignorant Because Jesus said You silly little pickle You silly little peas You're going to have a master And you can't serve two of them Your creator created you to worship something To serve something You're going to serve something or someone And he says it needs to be him Now here's the interesting thing I mentioned this earlier Jesus viewed money and the, and the accumulation of stuff as the number one competition for your heart, and Jesus never asked anybody for money. He did ask them for their hearts. He said, where your money goes, your heart's going to follow. So if you want to know what you're serving, look at your money and look at your time. The question this little Benjamin might ask you is exactly what Jesus would ask you. Do you have money or does money have you? And before you answer that, what would those closest to you say? Because one of the things we need to do when we open up the scripture, we need to look and say, to whom was Jesus speaking? Well, to whom was Jesus speaking? To rich people? And, and if it's rich people, some of y'all are going, I'm not rich. Oh, I beg to differ. Could Jesus be talking to people that get home from work in the afternoon and see three Amazon Prime packages on the front porch and they don't even know what's in them? That's rich people problems, Right? I just did this this week. Janie's like, who's it from? It's from me. I sent it to myself. What is it? I have no earthly idea. It's like Christmas every day. I open it up. Oh, yeah, I bought that. Rich people problems. Jesus is talking to you. How many of you have gotten upset that Walmart isn't open 24 hours a day since COVID hit? Some of you are like, hmm Dude, one day I was going to go get some, some Gatorade because it's a buck. It used to be 88 cents, and I'm really bitter about that because they went up to a dollar after COVID hit. But it was 88 cents for Gatorade, and I would go buy a whole ton of Gatorade because it's, it's 18 bucks down here at the gas station. I don't know. It's, not, it's much more than that. But at 8.15, and it was still closing at 8.30, I'm like, who does Walmart think they are <laughs> to close when I need them to be open? Back in the day, you remember, okay, so... Walmart would close one day a year. What day of year would Walmart close? Christmas Christmas day. And I don't know why. I didn't need anything, but this used to be a tradition for me and Caleb. When he'd get up on Christmas day, I'm like, dude, Walmart's closed. Let's go to Walgreens. We didn't have anything we needed. We just wanted to go to a place that was open (laughs) and walk around and go, okay, we know something's open if we need it. And we drive back home and celebrate the birth of our Savior. (laughs) Could Jesus be talking to people who've ever gone to a mall just to kill a little bit of time? What are you looking for? I don't know. Do you need anything? No. Oh, I didn't know that exists. But now that I know it exists, I need it. That's rich people problems. In other words, Jesus is talking to all of us, every one of us. He was talking to everyone then. He's talking to everyone now. You see, Jesus knew that every person who breathes was at risk of, of making money, their number one concern in life. And if you make money, your number one concern in life, it is your Lord. And what did Jesus say? You can't have two of, two masters? If money is your Lord, you have no self-control, which means you are not producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but think about your prayer life. Isn't it amazing how quickly that we take our sorrows to God? I mean, if, if something just overwhelms us and we're, you know, it's a kick in the gut, it's, it becomes very, very easy to say, God, please help me. Or sicknesses, you cry out, God, please don't let them die. Or you need money, God, I need money, right? Or you're lonely, God, please, 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 give me a spouse, I hear those prayers, right? I hear those prayers, and I tell people all the time. It is better to be single and lonely than married and lonely. I'm telling you. (laughs) Do not laugh so loud. Um, You know it's true, right? It's amazing how quickly we'll take sorrows. We'll even take our eternity. I know people who don't even really believe in God, but life goes hard and they're like, "Um, God, I I heard that hell's a bad place, heaven's a great place, I'd like to go there. And so if I ask you to forgive my sins and lead my life, dear God, please forgive my sins and lead my life. Am I good now? I know people who say they don't believe in God, but secretly they'll, they'll pray that prayer just in case. It's easy to take our eternity, our sorrows, our loneliness, God, isn't it difficult most of the time for people to take their money to God? Amen. Amen. Somebody said, preach it amen. I like that. (laughs) Come on. All right. Jesus was so smart. He didn't ask people for money because it never was about money. It's It's about your heart. So Jesus was incredibly clear. He said, if you haven't surrendered your blank." Whatever it is, should be the next slide there. You haven't surrendered. And so I told you all about my addiction last week that I, I have found 5,500 golf balls at, at Wildcat Golf Course. And, and I think it was actually Ryan. Ryan said, um, So where's your 10% that you're given to the Lord? So here it is. Here are 600 golf balls that I'm, I'm willing to give to the Lord. And I don't know how Teresa wants to count them and how, I guess I can put them in the joy basket back there. Um, but Lord, here's, here's 600 golf balls. That means I've got 4,900 left, um, which is not enough. That's never enough. Um, you fill in the blank. What is it you're not surrendering to God? Because here's what Jesus said when he was talking about People's hearts. He said it this way in Matthew 6, but seek first. Seek what? First. His kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will given, be given to you as well. The, the key to, to keeping pursuit of more or the chasing after money from being number one in your life is prioritizing something or someone else as first place. Seek first whose kingdom? God's. Seek first whose righteousness? gods right before jesus died he's heading back to jerusalem and and thomas is the one like well we might as well go die with him we're probably going to die he's going to die in jerusalem let's go with him but on the way they start arguing they start saying who's number one in god's kingdom well, we know Jesus is number one. So they started arguing, who's going to be two, number two? Who's going to be number three? Because Jesus is number one, right? But when we get there, I'm better than you. They thought he was going to rip off his rabbi robe and put on the Messiah robe and be crowned king. And you know that anybody who's in the king's inner circle, they get all the benefits of the king. So they're like, who's number one? Who's number two? I'm Jesus number one. I'm number two. And Jesus goes, wait, wait, wait. What were y'all talking about over there? And everyone of them's like, nothing. And he says, come here. We've gone over this before, but we're about to go over this again. In my kingdom, it's not like that. doesn't work that way. Matthew, do you want to be great? Well, Yes, Lord. I used to be a tax collector, and I was pretty good at that, but I'd love to be great in your kingdom. Hey, John, you want to be great? Well, since you're asking, you know I was talking to my mom, and my mom was going to come ask you if me and my brother can be on your right hand and your left. Yes, I would love to be great in your kingdom and not have to have my mama ask for me. I'd love that, Jesus. Hey, Andrew, you want to be great? I think everyone would say, yes, I'd love to be great in your kingdom. And Jesus said, in my kingdom, great people serve. In all the other kingdoms of the world, you work your way up the ladder. Jesus said, in my kingdom, it's the only one where you come down the ladder. And if you think you're on your way up, you're not great in Jesus' kingdom. He said, you want to be great, you got to serve each other. And then just to drive the, home, the point home so that we never, ever confuse it. He says this in Mark ten forty-five. For even the Son of Man. Now, you need to do a study on this title, Son of Man. Because a lot of people say, well, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. That's true. Both of those things are true. As if saying that he's the Son of God shows that he's deity and Son of Man says he's human. That is not what it talks about. Son of Man. You notice it's, it's capitalized. It goes back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. And in that, in that chapter, there's an exalted figure that, that Daniel calls the Son of Man. Who is in the clouds. He's coming with glory And Jesus knew very well what he was saying when he called himself the son of man. It was his favorite title for himself. Jesus was subtle. He knew that that other people wouldn't know he was claiming to be God's son in, in this instance. So he said, when the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, he's saying the exalted son of God. Because see, here's the deal. The one time that they asked Jesus, are you the son of God? And he said, yes, I am. It was in front of Pilate. It got him nailed to a cross. So before that time, I think it's 77 times it's in the New Testament. He called himself the son of man or someone else called him the son of man. It goes back to Daniel chapter 7, the exalted one. Even the exalted one of God, when he comes, he's not coming to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many the first time. Because there's going to be a second time when he comes on his white horse in victory as the king, but not this time. This time they get to Jerusalem and uh, they have the final Passover meal together. I mean, just five days earlier, four days earlier, they had come in, palm branches, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know, Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder, they're going, yeah, he's the Lord, and I'm going to be number two, number three. I don't know. They're going, yes, this is it. Tomorrow he's going to be crowned king. They have one last Passover meal together, and they're like, I'm number And then they, see, they hear this commotion in the back of the room. And they look back and, and the exalted one has stood up and taken, out, taken off his outer robe and he wrapped himself in a towel. And the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the lamb who was slain, the son of man, the exalted one comes and he starts washing the feet of the disciples. And there was just as much silence in that room as there is in this Can you imagine how long it took to to wash 24 dirty feet? Can you imagine the humility of the exalted one bowing down to worship, to wash your feet because that's what the servants did. And they're like, oh man, Hosanna, we forgot to get a servant to wash our feet. And here's the exalted one washing our feet. You think he got their attention when he got down and washed their feet? Peter's like, oh, don't, don't what? He said, sit down, Peter, I'm washing your feet. He says this to them, and he says this to you and me in 2020. You call me teacher and Lord. can't have two of those. There's only one. You call me teacher and Lord, Gord. That's the next verse. And you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord, there it is again, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. And the next day they watched the king of kings, the exalted one, die for his kingdom. And the world's never been the same. There is no other king, there's no other founder of any other religion who has ever said, I will wash your feet and I will die in your place because I want you to be in my kingdom that much. Jesus knows you have bills. He knows I've got bills. He's looking at you today and he's saying, but seek first his kingdom. First, This is about first. You get this right, everything else is taken care of. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you get this right, those things that keep you up at night, that you fret about, Jesus says, you get this right, that'll be taken care of. Your heavenly Father knows you have bills. So this isn't an either I pay my bills or I acknowledge God. It's not either or. Remember, we've been talking about this for weeks. It's here's your list. Number one is God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be taken care of. And I don't know if you've realized this, but sometimes you have a really hard time saying no to you. If you want to get better at saying no to you, then you've got to put someone or something else ahead of you. If Matthew was right, Matthew, the, first, the writer of the first book of the New Testament, if Mark was right, if, if Luke, if John, if Peter was right, if James, the half-brother of Jesus, who after seeing... He was a doubter before, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, he's my Lord. If those guys were right, then what we need to do is we need to flip the script. We don't need to act like the kingdoms of this world. We need to act like the singular kingdom of the exalted one, the Son of Man. Y'all remember, it, Christian music used to be pretty, pretty sad. Right, I remember when, when choruses came out and, and we'd get in trouble for singing choruses because they weren't in the hymnal and one of the first ones I learned was Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you Hallelujah! alleluia. They, they didn't resolve. And all these things shall be added unto you. So they had to throw the Hallelujah in there to get back to the, the re- resolution. Brian understands that one. If you want to have seek first living, you do this, you give first. In seek ye first, that's the next slide, you give first. In seek ye first living, you save for your kingdom second. And in seek ye first living, You live on the leftovers. This is how you prioritize another kingdom over your kingdom. Telling your money where to go is is the proof that it's not the boss of you. Money says, oh, we need to go over here. And you say, no, 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 shut up, money. You go where I tell you. You're not the boss of me, but, oh, you have this. No, 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 you're not the boss of me. And you prove it by prioritizing something else. The litmus test of your devotion to God is your willingness to put him and others ahead of yourself when it comes to your money. You don't do that. He's not your Lord. So I want to give you a two-month challenge, not a one-week challenge, a two-month challenge where you take a percentage of your income and you give it somewhere. And in case you're worried that that I'm I'm wanting it for me, (laughs) don't give here. Give somewhere else. And don't do a half percentage point because you'll never miss it. If a half percent of $1,000 is five bucks, I'm going to give a half percent. You'll never miss that. You need to give a percentage that you go. <sighs> Every time I talk about this, somebody goes, do you know how much 10% is? I'm like, it's a decimal point. It's real simple. I'm very aware of that I've been practicing this since before I was married. So, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it actually is. I don't even think about it. Somebody paid me the other day in cash and, and I won't even put it in my billfold until I've given God his 10%. It's just just a decision I made a long time ago. But if you've never done it before, it's going to be difficult. Now, when you give this percentage, I want you to pay attention to the internal struggle you have because you're going to struggle if you've never done it before. And then I want you to give anyway because it's going to reveal your heart. We choose to give because we're prioritizing the exalted one, his kingdom over our kingdom. So this is about who or what is number one. One of my favorite stories, and I'm done. One of my favorite things, we used to go to the, the Wildcat football games and we, my kids loved going. When we were little, there was a special needs guy, big guy, and we would always sit behind him on purpose because he was so entertaining he'd have a foam finger he'd have all kinds of stuff and he was in, in fact years later he got the number one fan at at uh, Wildcat at Palestine High School they called him out on the on the field and they you know they gave him but he would he would always say this my kids were little and so we would we'd get tickled not making fun of him we love sitting behind this guy he'd say who number one <laughs> and nobody would answer and so he'd look back at the crowd and he'd go we is Who number one? We is. What can I tell you when when it comes to your money? Your money saying, who number one? And way too many people are saying, me is. That's horrible English, but it's great theology. Your finances are proof to your heavenly father. That his kingdom is not number one. That you serve a different master. And see, if if Jesus isn't first in your finances, he isn't first. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're a user. You're like Judas, who was the treasurer, who took some of the money out and couldn't believe that Jesus wanted to serve. Jesus said, we're going to find out. We can find out the hard way or the easy way what's number one in your life. You don't want to be a user like Judas. You want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ so that when you stand before your heavenly father, he goes, I knew you had it in you. I knew my kingdom was more important. You didn't just talk about it. You proved it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace. Thank you for a chance to worship you in spirit and in truth today. God, feed our spirits by your Holy Spirit and show us if we have given any ground to the unholy spirit. Show show us if there's anything, not just money, but time, talents, treasure that we have given um, in service of our kingdom instead of your kingdom. And help us to realize... that our actions speak so much louder than our words do about who's number one in our lives. does not need to be me. I need, I need a God much bigger than me, and I think everyone who's listening today needs a God much bigger than them. So teach us what it means to follow you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. At the back, we have one basket. We used to have several. We have one now. It's our joy basket. <laughs> God Loves a Cheerful Giver, you can give there or you can give online, nlccp.com. Um, you can get the app and you can give uh, that way. Um, remember, uh, there are some listening guides. If you, if you didn't get the uh, announcements, you can go to nlccp.com as well to, to check on the, the announcements for the week. Please sign up for um, uh, the marriage night if you're coming to that because we need to make sure we have enough snacks and enough uh, childcare for that night. So we need you to sign up and, and let us know about that. All right, stand up and socially distance. Yes. Uh-oh. No, it is not. Happy birthday to you. Is that the only reason you sat on the front row? All right. Socially distance and get out of here. We'll see you next week.